Welcome to Yoga Chit Chat. I'm Phoebe Schiff, yoga teacher, aspiring public speaker, and Pisces Rising. And I'm Tarek Morinaga, yoga teacher, video game geek, and sci-fi nerd. Every week we meet virtually for an informal discussion on a common yoga philosophy, principle, or theme. This week's topic is Advaita Vedanta. The word Advaita loosely translates into not to, and the word Vedanta loosely translates into the end of the Vedas. Very commonly, we'll talk about Vedanta, and we usually mean Advaita Vedanta. So we'll maybe use those terms synonymously today. When we say Vedanta, we're really speaking about Advaita Vedanta. We'll try to say the whole thing each time. Advaita Vedanta, we can trace back to one of the main figures in this philosophy is Shankara. And he lived approximately 788 to 820 in the common era. So around the eighth century. Shankara was a philosopher who was influenced by the entire stream of yoga philosophy and the thoughts and themes and ideas of his contemporaries. And in a, a lot of ways, Shankara was sort of responding to the classical yoga of Patanjali. And in the classical yoga of Patanjali, which we covered on the previous episode of the podcast, is a system of yoga that is characterized by being dualistic. And by dualistic, we mean there are two broad categories in classical yoga. The two broad categories are spirit and matter, just to keep things as simple as possible. There are other words that we can use like Purusha and Prakriti. We can use the Sanskrit words and we could define spirit and matter in a number of different ways. But I think one of the easiest is to separate the two broad categories into spirit and matter or the absolute and everything else. And Shankara comes along and he says, how can you have something be the absolute if there is also something else? How can there be two realities? How can there be a, a spiritual world and a material world? In Shankara's view, everything is one thing. So Advaita, meaning not two, refers to everything being one substance or one source. And there is, is not this big distinction or big two broad categories of spirit and matter. Everything is the absolute. Everything is spirit in a way. There's no difference between anything. It's all spirit or the term that Shankara used often was the Sanskrit word Brahman, which translates into being or another definition I read was sort of swelling or expanding, which I think refers to the swelling or expanding nature of being. But he looked at everything as Advaita, as not to 
entities but one. And there's a few different ways that helped me understand this. One was the point which I read that said, anything that has manifest can't be real, quote unquote, because at one point it wasn't manifest. And in that there, there's this divide that's indicated. So Shankara sort of took a step back from that and said, the manifest and the unmanifest are the same. They're all from Brahman, this being. The sort of, ex- I don't want to call it an exception because again, it's all the same thing. Shankara viewed anything that appeared to be separate from beingness as, as an illusion. And the, the easiest way for me to understand this is um, I read an analogy of it being like a mirage. So they're a- appearing to be water in front of you. But when you get closer to it, it disappears. And so Shankara said that anything that looked like it was an exception from Brahman, once you got close to it, once you kind of shone the light of knowledge and wisdom onto it, it would dissipate and go back to this expansive beingness. The big challenge in shifting a philosophy from a dualistic philosophy to a non-dual philosophy is that you have to somehow be able to account for multiplicity. You have to account for diversity. You have to account for separation. Shankara is not saying that difference doesn't exist. We can clearly see difference between ourselves and other people. We have different lives. We have separate lives. We look different, we act different, we have different thoughts and views. Shankara doesn't deny that. So he has to account for multiplicity and diversity in some way. And the way that he accounts for it is exactly what you're talking about, Phoebe. He's accounting for that difference uh, through this, you refer to it as a mirage, and there are several different ways that we can think about it. And There are many analogies that we can use to characterize this accounting for diversity. None of the analogies is going to be perfect. You're always going to be able to poke little holes in them or they won't make perfect sense, but they can help us to think about things in different ways. So one of the ways Shankara's, one of his early influences was uh, one of his teachers talked about different states of sleeping, waking, dreaming, and then turiya, which is the transcendental state or like the state of samadhi. So you have these four different states of sleep or waking uh, and the physical world you can, we can think of as, it's like a dream within the absolute. So our physical existence, the way that we experience the world, the way that we experience difference, it's, it's all just a dream. And that's very similar to your uh, analogy as the mirage. Right. Another really simple way to think about it is to look at difference as multiplication, not division. So it's 
were were multiplying by manifesting into these different forms were multiplying from the same source but not dividing into different essences from that like even though you and I are different and it's the difference that is enabling us to have this conversation we are it's plurality it's not separation and and these are you know we start to get into some really murky places here but it's it's the idea that the there's this same essence in everything and that any exception going back to what i said before is a mirage and there's a lot of very compelling exceptions one of the analogies that comes up quite a bit is the was it Shankara who originally talked about the coiled rope? I don't know if he if that was specifically his analogy, but it is an analogy that we use very often to talk about superimposition and and Edwaita Vedanta. Right. Okay. So it's this idea that if you are walking and you see a coiled rope and you perceive it to be a snake, you experience it as a snake. You're, you know, maybe your pulse raises, maybe you run the other direction, but when you get closer and see that it's actually not a snake, in some ways it doesn't matter because you've still had the experience of it. The concept that Shankara often cited was avidya as the, the reason for superimposition or superimposition meaning you superimpose the snake on the rope. Right. So it's you're walking. Like, it's basically like projecting. Right, exactly. So that's all that superimposition means. You're just projecting one thing onto another thing. Sometimes the way that the that story is told is you're walking down a, a dark pathway and that's why you see the rope as a snake. You just mistake it for a snake. And in the dark, it looks it looks like the deadly snake. But then, and, and like you said, you have all of those feelings, adrenaline, and you break out into a sweat, you panic, you, you're fearful. It's this very real experience. But then when you bring a lantern over or a flashlight and you shine it on the, what you thought was the snake, and then you realize it's a, just a piece of rope or a stick or whatever in the road, then you have this different experience because you've cleared the ignorance, the avidya, and you've cast light on the situation and, and sort of lifted the, the veil of the illusion that it was a snake. And then that sort of takes us into our next big concept uh, within Advaita Vedanta is this idea of Maya. And so Maya is, we can define in a number of different ways, but like the cloak or the veil or the screen of illusion. Maya is avidya or ignorance manifest in ways that make us believe that there is an exception to the one. So it's 
yeah, it's the it's the the manifestation of of ignorance, or it's the it's the water, it's the illusion of water where there is none. And to sort of take that analogy, to zoom that analogy out, it's in in our reality, it's the illusion that this waking experience we're in is somehow separate from spirit or the absolute. It's the, yeah, it's the belief that there's some separation in that. And it's us projecting onto this experience that it, it's scary like a snake when really it's just a coiled rope that's part of everything. Does that make sense? I feel like I just went in a lot of weird directions. No, it does make sense. Okay. The analogy that I like is imagine I'm on one side of a screen and you're on the other side of a screen and I have a movie projector and I'm just projecting the movie onto the screen. And your experience is on the other side of the screen, you just see the movie. And you experience all of the images and colors and drama of what's being projected on the screen. And that's what you see. Your experience is the movie, whatever movie I'm showing you. And Maya is the screen itself between us. But if we were to remove the screen, then the movie would go away. You would not be able to see the movie without the screen. And you would no longer experience the, the same thing. You wouldn't experience the drama of the movie. And what you would see is you would just see this light, the light from the projector being cast towards you. And you would just experience that energy uh, of the light. And Maya to me is that screen. It's this thin veil between the reality that it's just a projector casting light and and the other reality that is the, the movie that you're experiencing. So Maya is this very thin veil between reality and physical experience or worldly experience. A lot of people in who were contemporaries of Shankara kind of took issue with this and challenged this idea and said that Maya was separate. And, and so what's interesting is that he always held his stance that Maya wasn't separate, separate from beingness. It was this mirage. So is it accurate to say that in other schools or bodies of philosophy, people see maya as separate it is sort of a problem with the advaita vedanta sort of thought at least that's what the tantrics used to say or say would say um if everything is brahman if everything is the absolute in my, in my analogy with the movie projector and the screen, 
if I'm casting that light towards you and that's everything, right? That's the absolute. If the light of the projector represents spirit, then what is Maya? What is the screen? The screen is something other. It's something separate. And Shankara kind of had a hard time explaining that. He would call Maya the unexplainable. Yeah, so then you had come across some things that said that Shankara, he included that in the absolute somehow. He, he said it wasn't separate? Right. He, I mean, he, oh, his, his response was always that it's, it's still Brahman. It's still, I mean, from a, a tantric perspective, it's still all spirit. It's, it, this is why I like the analogy of the mirage so much. Like it seems to be separate and yet it is not. And I guess that's what makes this so, that's what differentiates this from these other schools of thought. It's the illusion of separation where there is none. And that's where this gets really interesting because as best as we can, trying to ground it in our experience, you know, we see so many, we see everything outside of us as separate. And from Shankara's perspective, we are as similar to, you know, each other as we are to the cosmos, as we are to realms that existed before the universe did. I mean, he even, you know, goes so far as to say Brahman still encompasses whatever was here before the universe, because again, going back to what I said toward the beginning, things that have manifest aren't technically real because at one point they were unmanifest and Brahman encompasses both the manifest and the unmanifest. So it's, I mean, he really, um, he stays true to, to his one point. Yes. And then the question then becomes like, what is the mechanism for illusion? Like what causes illusion? And then if everything is Brahman, then Brahman somehow then causes the illusion. And then the question then becomes why? Why would Brahman choose to deceive us, choose to veil things, choose to be a mirage, choose to not be real? And I don't think that Shankara has an answer for that. So then even in that analogy, where Maya is this illusion and not some physical thing, then there's, it's, there's still this problem of, well, what is the mechanism for that? And then what is the reason for that mechanism? Like, why does this happen? And I don't think that Shankara has an answer for that. It's just Maya is just this outside thing or force or something that happens to us it's unexplainable, it's ignorance, it's a veil, it's illusion, and that's, that's it. But everything is, everything is this one source, everything is this one absolute, which I, that's where I think you're completely right, that he just really sticks to his one thing and that everything is Brahman. 
Yeah. Sure. All right. I think we should land the space shuttle back down to Earth and onto our mats for a second to remind us of why we're we're talking about this in the context of yoga. So to look at and this is me just kind of thinking out loud, so we'll see where it goes. Um, to look at our practice from the perspective of Advaita Vedanta is to see that we are able to access every absolute version of every pose. Like the, the absolute version of every pose is available within us. And our practice is a process of of remembering that, but maybe not necessarily reaching the absolute, but all, but realizing that whatever we do accomplish is still part of the absolute. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> every day is a different day on the mat, and every day our pose, our poses are a little bit different. So today, my triangle pose is one way. It's very open. It feels great. Um, I'm, I love it. And then the next day, triangle pose is very challenging. My hamstrings are tighter. I can't open up as much. Triangle pose changes from day to day. There's difference. There's diversity. And then maybe that there is a, an optimal blueprint, using an Anusara term, for triangle pose for me. And I'm not saying there's one, I'm not saying there's one optimal blueprint for everyone's triangle pose. I'm just saying for me, I, I might have, I do have an optimal blueprint and each day I'm seeking that optimal blueprint. And maybe that's the absolute triangle pose for me. And I'm constantly searching for it. And Maya is this play where it's some days it's very concealed. It's hidden from me. It's cloaked. Um, my full triangle pose is cloaked. And then on other days, I, I feel closer to my absolute triangle, my optimal blueprint triangle, and Maya, the veil is lifted. Is that kind of what you're saying? You know what? I think I just figured it out as okay. you're talking. I think looking at our practice from the perspective of Advaita Vedanta is realizing that your uh, I don't want to say worst because that's a judgment, but your, your least flexible triangle is, the, is equally as absolute as your most flexible triangle because they, like you, from a perspective, from a, a dual perspective, you might look at a, a triangle pose on a day that you're really tight as somehow less absolute or less spiritual than one where you're really flexible and your fingers are reaching the floor and your spine is really long. And this perspective, from the perspective of Advaita Vedanta, all of the poses are of the absolute. And Maya is what manifests in our minds to make us think, oh, this triangle pose sucks. I'm not doing yoga. I'm not connecting to my absolute practice. Maya is this illusion of separation from the absolute and from our absolute triangle, our, our best triangle. And we, we think that we're, we're something less on some days when the truth is that we're still 
beings of light and expansion and Brahman. Exactly. Which means off the mat in our lives, the same thing applies. If you're having a day when you're really aligned, you know, you, you do your morning routine and you eat your vegan meals and you read your spiritual books, that's great. It's that type of day is no different from a day from when you sleep in and you, God forbid, eat gluten and you go and um, just do something for fun. That is equally as spiritual and aligned based on this perspective of Advaita Vedanta as, as anything else, because it's all, it's all beingness. It's all this ever expanding beingness. And it comes from just a, what I, this may be my projection, but what I believe to be just a very curious essence that wants to expand into all of the different forms. It wants to expand into a version of you that meditates and reads and goes for meditative walks. And it wants to expand into the version of you that plays video games and eats pizza and whatever. Another term that, Maya is often given is a cloak or a veil. It's like if you had a veil in front of your face, it darkens things, it shuts out some of the light. Maybe you can't see quite as clearly because the veil is in front of you. And I think we experience this on the mat quite often. We feel veiled or cloaked um, when we're not feeling our best. And very often then that creates this ignorance where we think that we can't do something. And I think this happens for students all the time. They, they can do more. They can expand and stretch and go longer um, and be stronger. They can do amazing things, but there's this cloak, there's this illusion that they cannot, that they can't do it. And one of my favorite things as a yoga teacher is when a student surprises themselves, when they have a moment of revelation where the cloak is lifted, the veil is lifted, and they're like, oh my gosh, I can do a handstand, or I can, I can hold chaturanga for five seconds, or I can do this arm balance, or do this back bend that I didn't think was possible. So we all have moments of veiled moments, moments where Maya is, seemingly overpowering but then the amazing thing about yoga is that we have the chance to cast light on our own ignorance to cast light on the illusion to get closer to the illusion and see through the illusion and really discover some amazing truths truths like oh i'm a lot stronger than i thought i i was or i can do things that i didn't think I could do. And I think that's really Advaita Vedanta and the lifting of Maya in, in action in our, our yoga practices. And we, we as yoga teachers see it every day. And it's one of my favorite things about teaching yoga is when people have that experience of lifting the, the veil. 
I love that. And one of my biggest takeaways from this conversation is that as yoga teachers, we're guiding people to walk toward the mirage of the water or walk toward the, the mirage of ignorance and to see, to look at it and see what's there. And in doing so, it will dissolve into knowledge, into wisdom, into a connection with ourselves and, and everything around us. One last quick thing that I want to mention, because I feel like uh, I maybe glossed over it a little bit at the beginning. We pretty clearly, I think, defined Advaita as not to. So uh, is a negation in Sanskrit, and then dui is to. So Advaita means not to. And then Vedanta, we just defined as the end of the Vedas. And I just wanted to mention that the Vedas are, they're just teachings at a time within the yoga history. And then Vedanta comes at the end of the the Vedic period. And that's all that we're referring to. It's kind of marking a time and maybe a philosophy within yoga history. It, It doesn't really mean too much more than that. That's a good point of clarification. Yeah. Well, we would love to hear your perspective on today's conversation. It went in a lot of different directions. I'm personally very tired after it, which is how I know I really used my brain. Um, We'd love to hear from you on Instagram. Our handle is at yoga.chit.chat. Our website is www.yogachitchat.com. And we'd love to receive your support through Patreon, patreon.com slash yoga chit chat. If you feel called to give us a monthly donation, it will support us in creating more episodes like this one. Thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. time.